I'm Fathery. This is Starfleet Boy. This is Dave. And this is Text Trek. Engage. aboard the Starship Texas for the 122nd installment of the Tex Trek podcast, the home of Star Trek fandom from deep in the heart of Texas, where we talk all about Star Trek all the time. And tonight we are here to talk about Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode 4. What was the name of it? Forget me not. Oh, that's a, oh okay. I see. Forget me <laughs> not. A thing. I already knew he was doing it. You're not even a dad, and you tell dad jokes. That's great. Um, <laughs> now, who needs to leave? Think I'm a, I don't it's think you. I'm a dad. Probably not a dad. It's hard to be certain. Oh, Jesus. Uh, but yeah, this is an episode uh, written by Alan McElroy, Chris Silvestri, and Anthony Marinville, and directed by Hanel M. Culpepper. Are those writers, uh, uh, regular staff writers? I, I, I'm afraid I don't have a great sense for yeah, all the, the they were, writers. I believe all three on Discovery Season 2 and possibly all three on Season 1. And Hanel Culpepper has been around for a while. Hanel, yeah, she directed the premiere of uh, Picard. Yeah, those first, well, a third of the season of Picard, basically, those first yes, three episodes. Yes, that's true. That's true. And yeah, they, they made her an EP because she was so... Uh, foundational in in creating the that show uh but yeah so here she is back uh working on discovery uh because you know directors got to eat and <laughs> but yeah so we're going to talk all about this episode i'm just going to summarize it very quickly by reading the official synopsis you can find it all over the place i, I pull them off of memory alpha and then i'll just kind of expand on that with some spoilers to recap the episode for everyone we also might have our, our other regular Brian might pop up at some point later in the podcast and show up. He's having some technical difficulties. I think his ship was passing into a nebula or something like that. But, they should probably bring in those little uh, repair droids to help him out. Oh, yeah, those <laughs> things that I fucking hate. Yeah, they're all over this episode. We'll talk about that. <laughs> we actually have to dive deep into the uh, pool and find him and bring him out. <laughs> well, who's going in for him? I'll do it. I'll do it. Okay. So, I'll be Burnham. I'll be the will take the dive. Definitely <laughs> Burnham. Just to uh, <laughs> summarize this, the official synopsis reads: Burnham and Adira visit the Trill homeworld while Saru's efforts on the discovery to help the crew reconnect yield surprises. There's actually like a pretty good explanation of the episode. I'll just uh, expand on that a little bit. We learned that uh, Adira. You know, we learned about her backstory. Uh, the Trill Tall that was mentioned previously was not only a Starfleet Admiral old dude, but then became Grey, Adira's boyfriend, who died and passed the Tal symbiote on to her. 
Uh, Captain Saru tries to increase morale on the ship with basically uh, a Thanksgiving dinner. And uh, when that doesn't work, he listens to the computer, which, by the way, is starting to come to life, like we saw in Calypso. And the computer tells him to show everyone Buster Keaton movies. So that's that's the episode in a nutshell. And we have we have a new arrival into the podcast. What? There's Ryan. Hello. Sorry. How's it going? I went through the wrong wormhole. Okay, Um, wormhole. I knew I knew you'd have some type of explanation. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Had to reboot the uh, uh, ODN network. (laughs) Nice. Half our audience threatened to leave if you weren't going to come on. So I'm glad you're here. (laughs) <laughs> okay yeah. so that's like uh, how many people was half <laughs> okay yeah, people in the audience were concerned uh, alexandra sandu is asking where you were so. all right well i i was trying to be here i thought i had it all ready to go and then the computer is aging and apparently it decided Aww. that oh you haven't it, it sometimes forgets the usb ports exist um and well who doesn't worked... <laughs> yeah <laughs> You know, Father, you were talking about that being like a Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, that seems like a Thanksgiving dinner that went about as well as 2020 Thanksgivings are likely to go. Well, it is oh, what it gosh. is. It was appropriate for November, though. It was. There might be some other uh, some other explanations for this episode being kind of timed rather appropriately. Yeah, if people ever do themed uh, uh, Trek episodes, this one would fit nice in with a Thanksgiving theme. I mean, what else do you have? Charlie X? That episode took place over Thanksgiving. Like, <laughs> oh, did it? Jesus. Yeah. I guess I was thinking of ones where the crew kind of gets together in any sort of communal sort of uh, environment. Uh, and, and I don't know that that happens a lot. Wasn't there a turkey served on TNG? Yeah, the, the burnt bird meat that Kern didn't want to eat. <laughs> In the motion picture, Kirk got the whole crew together for a big movie-watching event at the beginning of the movie. That is true. Um, and they even said grace at this one, like, uh, in their way. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that. We'll each just go ahead and give an opening statement to express our broad uh, feelings and reaction to this episode. Um, I'll, I'll go ahead and go first, but... This is the happiest I've been with Star Trek Discovery all season long. Uh, this is the Michelle Paradise show I was hoping for with the richer character writing that I was expecting from her. And I am very happy with what we're seeing here. I'm happy with Saru as captain. I'm happy with Burnham's function in this episode as a bit of a more traditional first officer or science officer type role in the story. And Uh, You know, she still gets a lot of presence. She still gets to be the main character, but uh, it's refreshing not to see the character burdened with the weight of having to save the the universe and having to be like the center of the universe. And it's just like, I I feel happy for her that she can be like relieved from all of that pressure and tragedy and all of that. Uh, I really enjoyed our new character, Adira. I think she is a welcome addition to the crew. And uh, a, a Trek character for the Zoomer generation. And, of course, me being the big uh, DS9 fan, I loved the Deep Space Nine representation here. It was fun to return to the Trill homeworld and uh, see what it's like uh, on Trill in the 32nd century. So I'm very excited to see what happens next on Star Trek Discovery. Uh, Starfleet Boy, would you like to give your opening statement? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, um Basically, for me, I I just kept what what was neat about this episode is that it made me think about so many other episodes of Star Trek, more recent Trek, but 
you know, it made me think of Deep Space Nine. It made me think of TNG. Like the the Trill uh, story was just like really compelling. Uh, and then on top of that, it did something that I thought like uh, kind of a, there was an idea presented about the Trill in TNG and Dr. Crusher was kind of like humans are not ready for that. And I just love that now in uh, Discovery, we are going to get like a, char- a Trill character that's truly like going to be, you know, far out in, in the sense of like what it means to be, uh, you know, a person rather and and this whole like uh and this whole idea of like the the different people we are throughout our lives and like the and carrying those memories and things like that that there are facets within all of us. I just love that stuff and I'm so glad it's like there's a character that presents that and so I'm in love with Adira. I love this episode. I thought this was like probably a definitive episode for Star Trek Discovery. I think this is one that people will watch over and over again and it'll go on lists and things like that. Right on. Very cool. Uh, am I up? Are we going clockwise? Yes. So, Dave, right. you're up next. Uh, give us your Let's opening statement, please. All right. Uh, yeah, I um, uh, I enjoyed this episode quite a bit. I think I was more into the A plot with Adira than I was into the B plot with um, uh, Saru's Thanksgiving, uh, which seemed uh, – some of that dialogue seemed a little, I guess, dialogue-y to me. You know, I could feel the writer's hand in it. And it didn't feel supernatural to me, super hyphen natural. Uh, um, uh, but, uh, but I liked Adira's plot a lot. Uh, you know, father, you, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned her as a, a zoomer generation character, but I, I would certainly hope that, the, that, uh, that, that, that the character will have crossover appeal to, to any generation of Trekkie. Uh, and I, I know you didn't mean exclusive, gen- yeah. <laughs> exclusive. No, I just, I just meant anyway. she's the youngest regular cast member that the franchise. Yeah. Yeah. Had. For now, there For will sure. eventually be someone even younger, but. Uh, you know, in the in the previous episode, they said um, uh, she was uh, her character is sixteen. Is the actress sixteen? I actually didn't. I, I didn't know if that was that the case. Um, or she's like I, I assume I assume that she's like eighteen or nineteen because it's a lot easier to hire someone for one of these jobs if they're uh, a legal adult. By the way, I just realized uh, uh, does uh, Blue uh, go by they them pronouns? Am I right? Yes. Okay, uh, so uh, she, her on on the show, they, them as an actress, yeah, right? Yeah, so I, I should say I believe that they're uh, they're nineteen, I think, actually. Right on. Uh, anyway, uh, I enjoyed the uh, the uh, trip to the Trill homeworld, and uh, I kind of like sometimes seeing um, happier and uh, impulsive <laughs> um, impulsive Burnham, but like not like impulsive where it started a war, but like impulsive like where she kicked the ass of some Trill that got a little overzealous. Uh, she just like insta went to town on those guys. Uh, so uh, a overall uh, like a really strong episode to me. This one was very emotional. Uh, only occasionally veered a little into schmaltz for me, but uh, but I was uh, generally very on board, and I felt like it was pushing Trek forward in in ways that I really liked. Yeah, no, oh, yeah, and I can definitely see that uh, criticism. I I feel the same way. Just uh, the overall positives kind of won me over more than for sure for sure and like other like the good year. stuff is like really good in this one and like it, it felt like trek really doing what i want to see trek doing um uh brian i really like this one a lot um part of the reason i loved it uh was because it 
it hit so many of my favorite tropes when I'm game mastering Star Trek role playing games, like like so many of them that I, I one of my friends I that I run the game with who watched it with me was like, this felt like one of your games, <laughs> and yeah, I I was like, wow, this. Is a, whereas I think. Um, I said that the episode, the episode nine of, of Lower Decks was one that was written precisely to make me happy. This one appears to be something that I might have written. So, uh, and that, that I, I certainly enjoyed that. That is exactly, this is, uh, the, we'll the slower get, pace. We'll the try more and get in- you a co-writer credit on that, Brian. <laughs> yeah, I know Alex the, the, Kurtzman, Alex Kurtzman li- l- listens to text tracks. So yes. keep telling him, you know. <laughs> Brian will pay you to work on any of your yes. shows. He must really like uh, like giving you some pushback, Fathery, with those repair droids. <laughs> every time, every time I bring that up, he tells the CGI animators to put in another dot seven. <laughs> they were they were considering having one at Saru's Thanksgiving. <laughs> oh God! Just just gliding around in the background like a George Lucas add-on. Yeah. So uh, sorry, yes. Brian. Didn't mean to interrupt. No, you. no, that's fine. Uh, I, I I wanted to push the dot seven button at some point tonight too. But, uh, um, yeah, I, I just, so many of my favorite storytelling tropes, in fact, some that I overuse terribly in my games, uh, um, were, were in this and, and, uh, I, I found that delightfully fun. Let me pin you down on that. Is it an ego stroke? Because there's like, Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm in sync with them. Or, uh, or, or do you like, um, feel like, oh, that means that I, you know, in my own way have inadvertently or like not inadvertently, but I have plugged into some the nature of Trekkiedom or whatever. Or or is it just like a good it's just good drama and hopefully you're there's there's some parallel of, of dramatic beats. There there's a little bit of all of that, but there there's also an immense satisfaction about getting there first in Star Trek. I sure. did these things first. I did this in Star <laughs> yeah. Trek before they did it. Uh and Fair I enough. have to admit that's that's <laughs> and some of these tropes are really simplistic, uh, uh, uh and things that show up in lots and lots of shows. But there were so many of them in this episode that it struck me. And some of them are kind of specific, but so anyway, I liked it a lot. My favorite of season three so far and, and I don't know, I'd have to rewatch everything. It might end up being my favorite uh, Discovery. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be my favorite of all time, but certainly my favorite of season three. But it's cool. enough to make you think that it could have been your favorite of all time. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I had to at least think about it a bit. Yeah. And uh, Trek on the Tube, uh, our great uh, YouTube friend, he has an amazing channel that everyone should check out, but he is in the live audience and uh, apparently looked it up and has let us know that uh, Blue is 23 years old just one of those folks or one of those people with a with a very youthful face and it's a small world one is joining us giving uh giving us uh some of her impressions on the episode and she says i like this but i like first episode because it set up the series and we meet book i miss him there's several people in the audience saying that they they would have liked to have seen more of book and reno who are both absent in this episode i don't know what you would have done with book in this episode (laughs) Other than give him a cameo, you it would have been to, oh look, here like, he's still here. <laughs> like I guess he wouldn't be exactly palling around with Saru's, uh, you know, uh, tight tight crew for Thanksgiving. Uh, so yeah, he'd have to be. It'd have to be something sort of behind the scenes. And I don't think he's connected with any other crew members other than Burnham yet. Is that right? Other than maybe a little sparring with um, uh, Giorgio. Giorgio. Yeah, that was yeah. Uh, that was fun. I'd like to see them interact more. Uh, but yeah. 
She could have bumped into him after walking out with the with the booze when the party broke up. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys think it's on purpose that there's no uh, chief engineer or chief medical officer at this point? I'm going to bring like that it's... up. Oh, you are? There, okay, cool. There's something, uh, in fact, I'm going to bring one of those things up here in a little bit. But we're going to go ahead and, and kind of bust the episode down, uh, break it apart, talk about it beat by beat. Uh, starting with the, the the opening, yeah, it started on a bad foot with me. I hate these dot seven repair droids. <laughs> also, the the CGI animators just kind of like jerking themselves off to like the amount of texture <laughs> they can put on this shit looks ridiculous. They're like all I actually like, I actually like the texture. I I agree about the texture issues. I'm totally on your side. I like the dot sevens, but yeah, that that I hate those greebled up holes. But, I do uh, think when I saw I, them, Fathery, I just I just laughed uh, in your honor. <laughs> I, just I I do think it's a testament to this episode's strength that you liked it despite the, the, the yeah the, no the, I thought about that when I saw yeah, that and then I saw we get it out of the way it. out of the gate uh, you know like I've already I've already made my peace with the fact that these things these dumb things are on the, the ship <laughs> and I'm just stuck with them but immediately after that we get this really cool uh, officer's log from. Dr. Kolber, and he actually calls it a medical officer's logs uh, supplemental. So should we assume he's chief medical officer because he's the one given this this log entry? But he didn't say chief medical officer, he just says medical officer. And by the end of this episode, you kind of feel like he's going to become like the, the ship's counselor. So, Well, I, I did think this was an episode that nicely highlighted why they put uh, started putting counselors on ships in Star Trek, mm-hmm. uh, in Starfleet. Uh, so I, I thought this was a very good job at, at, oh yeah, that's why we need a counselor on board, is because maybe this guy is doing his best, but, you know. Totally, only... and, and like... The right he now, took the whole... psychology at a two hundred at a three hundred level while he was getting his PhD in medicine. You know, the whole crew is uh, experiencing PTSD right now. Uh, so, and and they did in um, uh, the ready room. You know, they they like Will Wheaton straight up asked him if he was taking on a counselor role, and you know he's like they, they don't want to like spoil this. Season, but there was a big smile on Colbert's face, and uh, or that is to say, uh, what's what's the actor's name? Wilson Cruz. Wilson, Wilson Cruz's face, and he's. And I always, I always like watching the Ready Room stuff. He and um, uh, Anthony Rapper on there, and they're they're both great to see, uh, sort of uh, talking. But yeah, I, I have a feeling that that's in his future. You know, the the opening of this sequence, the piano music, which I thought was really beautiful, and and uh, the the composer was doing a lovely job, uh, reminded me a little bit of uh, some of the piano music that Michael Giacchino had done in the uh, in the Kelvin verse movies. Um, and, and a little bit of that opening narration, you know, the kind of walk and talk uh, narration that was going on at the beginning of Star Trek Beyond when Kirk's kind of assessing their listlessness out in space. This is a little bit more serious, but it reminded me in a, in a good way of that. I kind of I liked the uh, the catch up on the crew and, and I liked seeing it through his eyes. If, if he is going to take on that role, I, I'm. I'm I'm very into that idea. Yeah, and I like that his tricorder has like the little spinny thing, like Doctor McCoy had in the original series. I'd never noticed that on uh, on these medical tricorders before. They have a little spinny gizmo, so that was that was cool to see. I want a toy of that. Like that would be a really cool thing to have. It was so mm-hmm. cool looking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
they did a close up of the handle and the handle actually looks exactly like one of the versions. Like I almost wonder if they took the, one of the, the playmates toy version and chopped the top off and installed something new there. Um, Cause the handle looks so much like the, the, it was painted white instead of black, but I was, I have that playmates toy and I was like, yeah, that looks a lot like it. I also just loved Colbert getting a scene that was about Colbert. It wasn't, Colbert being uh, bouncing off of Stamets. It was just Colbert being Colbert uh, and getting to shine and getting the spotlight and getting to the log entry. And I, I thought that was really nice and he's really interesting and we don't do much with this guy. Yeah. Yeah. There are times uh, yeah. when there are times when certain characters can end up feeling a little bit like an appendage of other characters. And uh, uh, I, you know, I, I think that the Wilson Cruz always brought more to it than that, but sometimes, yeah, he was the boyfriend just as some characters are the girlfriend um and uh and so yeah it was nice to see him uh on his own and he was uniquely positioned to give a perspective on the the ship dealing with this traumatic experience because he's the guy who was killed and resurrected uh so you know in the last two seasons so he's 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 been through some some trauma he should probably process that with someone who's uh themselves a counselor you know, um, there was a line he he said in that sequence uh, that uh, that we had the uh, image up a minute ago, where he was talking to um, uh, oh gosh, why can't I say her name? Um, Owo or Detmer? Detmer, yeah. Where uh, I think it was just his narration around in there, where he was talking about these the, the that some of them it's not easy for them to reach out to help for help because it's a crew of overachievers, and I thought that was an interesting way to sort of lens it that uh, yeah these these guys. It's maybe not their natural instinct to uh, confess vulnerability. I, I thought that was a neat bit of writing there. Yeah. Um, we also saw uh, Reese and Bryce do a fist bump on the bridge. <laughs> it's like I don't think they have like any dialogue the entire episode. This is like the only thing they get to do. But the, it's, the, a, it's a nice moment, though. The, that's them. Uh, that's them thinking when we find the Federation. But they they do let us you know, catch up with the other characters, you know, remind us Detmer has this PTSD thing. Uh, I guess, like, Tilly, I guess it's a little comic relief. She's, like, falling asleep on the job. She's able to sleep standing up, by the way, which is impressive, but... <laughs> that's a thing that, uh, that's a thing that gingers can do, actually. Oh, it's a ginger power? Yeah, yeah, I read about it somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> There's no limit to those, ca- their capabilities. <laughs> They end the montage with Adira and Sickbay, and they kind of uh, set up the the a plot of the story here. She has virtually no memory, not even like her own human memory, but none of the the trail memories either. Just has the the slug inside of her and doesn't know where it came from. All she seems to know is the name like uh, Sina Tall, and that's it. I like that she calls it a squid. Yeah, <laughs> I I did find it ironic that that both brains inside uh, inside her body are have amnesia i was like wow you you you're more amnesiatic than any other character in in fictional history you're you you're double amnesia 70s for that level of character amnesia <laughs> yeah i i will say uh, amnesia though is one of my story t- gaming tropes there that's one of them though i usually just do a small segment a, a hole in your mind uh, you're missing a day or something we don't know anything about trills other than what we learned from the weird sphere uh you don't seem to know anything so kind of our only option is to go to the trill home world and hope the people there are not going to be total dicks like when we showed up on earth (laughs) and hope that they can help us 
they were only partial dicks on on trail <laughs> the guardians were all right <laughs> yeah at least some people were friendly initially <laughs> we'll talk about it more when we uh get to those scenes but um just just real quick uh because i haven't seen the ds9 episodes that uh, take place or much that's in and around specific troll culture um uh, what was their level of dickishness prior to this i went back and watched equilibrium for this episode and i would say that they were definitely portrayed as arrogant or perhaps you know uh, a bit conf- overly confident in their the same institution yeah. you know, the yeah. same institution on the trill world that is being uh jerks in this episode were mm-hmm. jerks in, in 800 episode or 800 years previous in that episode yeah right on and there's a huge trill secret that apparently has uh, apparently has never gotten out <laughs> yeah i was going to bring that up and ask out what people thought about that but we get to the uh we get to the trill home world and i was disappointed to see there's one thing they got wrong there's one detail they missed uh they didn't have the purple oceans uh, that, that mm. Dax mentioned that she said you, the, the the oceans are purple. That's so a big thing. I would have liked like, to have seen uh, that. Did, have we actually never seen the exterior of the Trill homeworld before? We have. No, like we, planet we've, we've seen well, we've seen like shots on the planet's surface, but not like a space view of it. I don't believe. Okay, so we didn't see their oceans. Yeah, but uh, anyways, they go there and they meet the uh, commissioner Voss who shows up, and I thought this was a really smart thing to do, like, post-burn Trill. You know, the thing with them has always been that there's some of, like, the more, like, elite members of Trill society get to be joined with a uh, symbiont, and that's very important to them that, like, they, they, they maintain, like, these symbiont legacies, and they're able to pass it on from, you know, person to person to person, from host to host to host, and... You know, they're active. They're, they're, they leave their planet. They go do stuff. They join Starfleet. They go join the Diplomatic Corps. They're out and about doing things. When the burn happened... I'm sorry, is it just a quirk of genetics that determines? It's not like royal bloodlines or something like that, right? There's a whole episode about that. that okay. it, turn, it, it turns out that, like, it's actually not as rare as they thought. But it's, it's also like you're, you have to go through, like, training and testing. Like, they don't just hand one out to anyone. Um, hmm. okay. you also have to be like biologically able to accept it it's but apparently not yeah watch uh ds9 season three i think episode four equilibrium i'll sneak a watch of it uh so so but it's kind of an elitist thing so maybe like uh having that get devastated by the burn was extra uh ouchy for them for yeah the like the, it, it made sense that like these these hosts that were out and about wouldn't be able to like return and so you know, if they die, if there's no tr- other trill around and they can't pass the symbiont on to someone, you know, they're kind of screwed. So the, the the commissioner is all excited to be like, oh, my God, a, a host with the symbiont has returned. It's a big deal. Well, one thing I was not clear on, are they running short on symbionts or are they running short on trill? Because I, I heard lines that seem to support both, support both points of view, but if they're running short on both, then the supply and demand is is is, is not actually changed. So they, I was I was confused. They, they said that they're running low on on hosts. I didn't okay. I didn't hear them say they were. 
which they would think if ne- if the secret never got out about how much of Trill Society is actually compatible. And I think it there is were possible the secret was lost in the burn. In the if burn, the right people got blowed up. Blowed up, yeah, it's yeah. true. Or, it's true. or you know, if things if like people if they've evolved differently, or who knows? Basically, they they tell Saru they're like, okay, yeah, bring them down here to the planet. We really want to uh, we we want to meet them. Um, Saru doesn't tell them. Oh, by the way, it's a, a human host, so they're they're <laughs> not sure how they're going to react to that. Uh, Saru is is not very upfront in his first contact uh, but to be fair they just kind of hung up i was like wow they don't have any questions at all i guess they're just planning to discuss it once they get down on the surface but those are some trusting trill i would have had some more questions like who are you how where did you find this trill what's the trill's name you know i would and then i found out oh the reason they didn't ask questions is so we can have this big confrontation moment face to face rather than over a view screen but um but yeah, I, I did, I, even at the moment. Star Trek I was Discovery like, ain't got time for a little side jibber-jabber. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I was. I, 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 I literally thought, well, they've only got 40-something minutes to tell this story. Let's get on with it. <laughs> then we get this conversation in engineering that's going to set up one of the subplots of the, the episode. Oh, it's definitely a subplot because it's dealing with subspace and subatomic <laughs> particles. Uh, but yeah, Saru basically says like, Okay, Stamets, uh, you just got stabbed through the chest like a week ago. You could easily be taken off of the board, and then we wouldn't have any way to, to travel. So we need a, an alternative interface for the spore drive. That way we don't have to rely on you. You don't have to be, uh, you know, like, responsible for it. And, and Stamets is like, no, that's impossible. You know, I've researched this for years. Uh, Tilly is like, what if we had like a dark energy interface? And Stamets is like, oh, that's fucking dumb. Why would you say that? You don't waste my time. <laughs> uh, she was obsessed with dark matter in season two when they brought on like those dark matter particles in the those first two episodes of season two. Is so, she obsessed, or are those writers obsessed? <laughs> <laughs> I don't really like dark matter being used something like really prominent like this in Star Trek because it just seems like such like generic sci-fi. Like it's kind of trendy. The last it's uh, the new yeah, it's but, the well, is, it, is it dark energy or dark matter? I'm trying to remember. I think they said dark matter. Yeah, okay. dark matter. Well, um, I mean, it's a it's a real phenomenon right. as far as real. science can turn, as opposed or, to like. Uh, but they're using it the particle. way uh, Marvel it is, it Comics. A real, it's a real theoretical thing. Right. Yeah. As opposed to Kepion particles, which would just be some made up bullshit. So. It's just sketchy because Neil deGrasse Tyson kind of suggested that it's called dark, whatever, dark matter, dark energy, because we don't know what it is. And it's like yeah. all these years later, they still don't know what it is. Like we're hoping that cosmology I, is I, advanced by by the time <laughs> of discovery to a point where they have an under, a fundamental understanding of dark matter and dark energy. So. They were at I, that's least the part able I to identify it. it when they saw it. They were at least able to identify it when they saw it. Yeah. That's something. It's, that's dark matter. It's true. It's true. <laughs> Don't know how it works, but that's it. It's, uh, it seems like dark matter fills a little bit of the role that, say, radiation did in 60s Marvel comics as, you know, whatever you need it to be to move a plot forward. Or, I don't know, electricity did in, like, the uh, in Frankenstein and pulp stuff like that or transistors. You know, it's it's a little bit of the uh, generic technology du jour. Yeah, I Is guess that's the true. first time they've ever clarified that the mycelial network exists in subspace. Whether it is like a subspace hmm. realm, I don't know. Actually, I like that's that though. I like question. that they tied it like this weird mushroom space thing that's always felt really weird. Uh, 
I like that they tied that into like something that's like old 1960s Star Trek with with subspace. It does remind me of the episode where there were the there was another subspace domain where these aliens were kidnapping the crew members and doing surgeries mm. on them and then wiping their memories and sending them back on next generation. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah. the clicky clicky was. <laughs> yeah, and I wonder maybe the mycelial network is one of those domains mm. that doesn't have, you know, that it doesn't have those aliens. Or heck, maybe it is the same domain. But <laughs> so. and, uh, truck on the tube says, "I wouldn't let Stamets touch that shit. He nearly destroyed the multiverse." With a couple of mushrooms. God, I wouldn't want him to touch dark matter. <laughs> I, I like Stress-Free K's uh, theory about what dark matter is. It's the power of love, people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> is that a, is that a callback to the power of math? Stress-Free K says they wanted to establish that there was real love between them so that Adira's blocking out the death would make sense. Sutek just gave us the gift of the answer to the episode with the clicky people. It's schisms. Thank you, Sutek. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> okay. And uh, it's a small world. Uh, says, does jumping hurt the mycelial network still? That is a good question. They've been a, a little. I've been wanting them to address that. that. Yes. Uh, maybe someday they'll they'll define that. I did have a question. They said she's. They, there was a comment made that we have all this advanced technology because we're in the thirty second century. So maybe now we can do the the thing we couldn't do. So did they get some? Te- did they pick up a replicator and a replicator database from Earth or not? Because it's that you know you you could just pick up an off the shelf replicator and an off the shelf replicator database and make all sorts of amazing tech uh, that that they don't have. Wouldn't wouldn't uh, Burnham? have a pretty good idea of like this yeah. uh, time period technology after after living here for a year like I think yeah yeah so she would probably so, be able to tell them like where to go or what 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 kind of options they have yeah so so should we just assume that they've picked up a 32nd century replicator probably with a database so. to run it i mean that would seem like incredibly obvious I know Disco's writers, they ain't gonna say it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that that True. might be something next week, next week when they meet Starfleet, that they might like retrofit the, the ship with some new high tech stuff or something like that. It's true. Uh yeah. the the idea of, of Colber selecting Burnham for this away mission, I like that because it gave him some like agency in the larger story, but uh the the conversation between the, the, the two of them where he he tells her that you know, you've been through traumatic shit. I've been through traumatic shit. This girl's going through traumatic shit. So like, trust my judgment. You're the right person for this. And he he calls her a responsibility hoarder, which hoarder, yeah, she is, I guess. Uh, you know what I liked? I liked the sort of he said it in a kind of playful, gentle way, which uh, like he was, and like she was able to kind of uh, take it in that same same vein. And she's like, I'm working on that. You know, she wasn't like yeah. like. Like the kind of lightness that the, the level the conversation was at, it get, didn't get too deep, too serious. But the, the show's yeah. acknowledging, like, yeah, we've literally, like, made this woman responsible for the life of every living thing in the universe. <laughs> so it's a traumatic deal. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. The, the Bringing this to light was kind of a good thing uh, because it means that there's an awareness uh, the character has a, a flaw. It's, it's a flaw the character's aware of. It's not just something the audience perceives but maybe it came about because the writers are like we have to do this <laughs> that's kind of a bold move to like acknowledge like 
you're gonna you're gonna change things with like your main character uh that you're gonna you know admit that like oh yeah maybe we can we can write her a little bit better maybe we can like do things a little differently with this character that's kind of that's kind of brave because you're you're fundamentally altering parts of your show and also kind of acknowledging that maybe we made mistakes maybe we should have done this sooner uh at least some people are going to interpret it that way you know, Father, you, you pointed out something which I think was always a good point. You've mentioned it on several occasions. Uh, the sort of uh, ebullience of Sonequa Martin-Green, the actress, and, uh, you know, kind of uh, sort of forced to be in the sort of more reserved uh, of, of Michael Burnham. And by giving her this year uh, year off, sort of, of uh, off screen, without all the, the weight of Starfleet uh, on her shoulders. I mean, yeah, she had responsibilities, but she kind of got to... Also, just have like a, a, a like a road trip with a dude. <laughs> um, uh, like it, it's it's a reasonable way to you know if you just say her characters change some off screen, that I think that's a reasonable way to do it. You know they they've been away that long. I I will say the the I was raised by Vulcans thing. Like there's not. I mean you would never guess it if you started with season three. I mean you could still see that she's very intelligent and and thoughtful and 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 keeps herself under control to some degree but not as maybe as much as before but you wouldn't have guessed that if you started with uh, that she'd been raised by vulcans if you started with season three true. so so that you is would, very definitely would, a she's all a, you would a, know a, is that she likes giving that vulcan hello when the trill get a little bit antsy <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh i did think you guys uh said that, um, and I guess what, stress-free K, I think Culver also realized that Burnham is pretty adjusted to this new universe, but the crew needed him more. I felt, the thing that was weird is this conversation was undertook, the way this conversation sounded, it was like they were talking about one of those next-generation shuttle pods, which have two seats. Like, just because you're sending Michael doesn't mean you can't also send Colber. You know, there. Yeah. And well, they only have 88 people, was, so they, they probably yeah. don't want to send too many. And I was also thinking if there was somebody I was going to put next to um, Adira as a support to provide a bit of support, it would be Tilly, uh, closer to the same age. Uh, has but but is also just gone through Starfleet Academy, whereas Adira wants to go into Starfleet Academy. They Tilly's gone through some crazy crap and seems to be handling it better than a lot of the crew members does, and she makes a wonderful first impression. I think that's a good point. I think that they they almost certainly did Burnham, you know, because she's just a, a lead, more leading character. Well, yeah, and, and I and could Burnham, see how Burnham's also like a little bit more experienced and capable than than Tilly. I would have sent Burnham and Tilly because you need somebody who can diplomatically handle crazy whatever's going to happen down there with this second contact situation that's that they've got going on. But you also need to a, a good support for uh, for what's her name. Now, um, uh, Holly suggested, uh, my wife, that... It might be that Culber is actually playing a bit of a trick here. He thinks uh, that Michael will be healthier if he if if she if she has uh, um, Adira to look after. That that will help her get over some of her issues and reconnect with the crew or something. And I thought, you know, that makes a little more sense of this scene, at least from my point of view. Is if Culber's playing a slightly tricky game about who really is is needing the help here. Um, 
So anyway, that was my observations on that. On Starfleet Boy, we wanted Owo to go down because she did really good in um, uh, in the Terrorism episode. Yeah, New Eden, uh, and might have been calmer than Burnham tends to be <laughs> <laughs> in situations. But, so you know, yeah, Burnham but, gets but shit I agree. done. So you, you need someone who can like. Yeah, like she she's going to get like, a little shit excited, done. but she's going to get shit done. And maybe start Burnham a war, is, hopefully uh, not. Yeah, maybe, Father... they, they, maybe Burnham the ambassador isn't the best role for her. Well, <laughs> well ironically, because her brother, her stepbrother's the best ambassador, right? <laughs> and her dad. Yeah. Her and her dad, yeah, her dad as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I think Burnham season two would have been a perfectly acceptable ambassador, but uh, perhaps um, Culver has not yet come to terms with just how much Burnham has changed in the, between season two or one or two and three. So I started liking Adira when we get this conversation between her and Burnham, you know, I didn't really see much of her last week to, to go off of, but I like, I like the actor's uh, performance here. Um, I was kind of uh, impressed. I was like, Oh yeah. yeah. She, uh, she's actually like a, a really good actor. Like her, her reactions and stuff her. uh, uh, just overall performance is, is pretty strong. And the the way that Burnham kind of, like, tricks her into, like, accepting help is kind of how you kind of have to deal with, like, kids sometimes, is that, uh, <laughs> like, they like they won't they won't admit, they, they have a hard time, like, admitting that, like, they want help or, like, they, they want you to do something with them. So you're just kind of like, okay, we'll just go do it by yourself. And then they're like, well, you know, if you really want to do this with me, okay, I'll let you. Well, you know, I, I think she wants, she doesn't want to be the, the fifth wheel on this ship. She wants to be one of the crew. So she's trying to make a good first impression. And to her, that means not looking like she's a, 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 a somebody who needs her hand held all the time. So I totally get where she was coming from with her kind of. I don't know macho. I don't know if macho is quite the right word, but but she certainly um, has like some sort sort of some bravado and and even yeah. over overconfidence. I would say she's she's a you know she's yeah. a prodigy. And of yeah. course, I, I hated seeing that that dot seven uh, robot <laughs> in the shuttle bay. When it, now now it they're getting into the, the ship. They're yeah, it like, ship it, it like looks like right at the camera, like it's looking at me. Yeah. <laughs> well, you said you said that Alex Kurtzman yeah, watches the show. Woke so up he's last doing this night. <laughs> Father, he woke up last night screaming, remembering this scene. So. Um, I, you know, I, that, that, that droid needs to get the Vulcan hello. Yeah, yeah, it's like an Attack of the Clones when when Jar Jar looks at the camera, just to like, <laughs> I know that you hate me, but I'm back. It's like that's what it felt like. <laughs> I think Blue Spark or Spark is a, a Drunk Space Nine uh, listener, and uh, I like what they said. Adir is a great uh, character for younger uh, audience members to relate to. Cool. Yeah. Totally. I did think I really liked her line about I don't want to let anyone down. I thought that yeah. was that nicely that that made that, that it was good. I thought it was well delivered. I thought the whole seat that that whole beat worked really well. And Burnham's response like she kind of kind of like kind of slightly laughs to herself like, "Oh, I get why Hugh paired me up with her." Yeah. Like, like, you know, oh, that was like a what I sound yeah. like. Uh, <laughs> why did they take a shuttle instead of beaming down? That's a good question. <laughs> Those shuttles look cool. Yeah. Like in Star Trek The Next Generation, they I have no idea though. They, they established yeah. that like Trill can't use transporters, but oh. then Deep Space Nine ignored that. And we uh. saw we saw and, and you know, transport technology might have changed from have, that that might be a point. What if what if you had to you have to make a modification to the transporter to make it trill safe? 
and they hadn't gotten that done yet. Uh, the sphere data hadn't maybe told them how to do it, but they weren't sure they wanted to risk Even it. Even though she yet. has a portable transporter that she was using last week. Now, yeah, she could have used her own. <laughs> can that take two people? Uh, or yeah. is that only- it can, it, it can it, because Book it sounds like a, it it sounds like a lost plot point. Yeah. Like maybe there was like a line of dialogue and they just cut it for time. But yeah, Somebody, some, they had a big box of money sitting around with nothing to spend it on other than CGI shuttle shots. <laughs> when, we, when we meet the uh, kind of the Trill welcoming party on the planet, they're kind of color-coded. So we have like I guess like the red robes are like the spiritual monks, which was something they didn't really have with Trill before in any of the DS9 stuff. We didn't really the, see the one character was stuff. kind of intuitive though in Equilibrium. He's able to tell the, the, the Dax, yeah, the Guardian, yeah. and I think that those are the Guardians in red. Yeah, so... they, well, they, they they should have made these the Guardians, but instead they're like, uh, oh, this is like the uh, the spiritual people is there a difference between that i mean can can't no, you have a guardian oh, inside your religion but father in equilibrium the ds9 episode that guardian who who's uh taking care of the the pool uh it is able to sense dax like without knowing you know he doesn't even know jadzia or and he's able to sense dax and he's able to tell that dax is having these like memories by just holding his hand near her where where the symbiont was so i think that the guardians always did have a spiritual weird connection with you know, or at least some kind yeah. of connection well, they, with they you do know, call that was, like the, the leader of the spiritual community he is guardian z right yeah. xiz and then yeah. the uh who else do we have the uh the leader in the white robe um she's uh leader uh pev or pav was her name and then the uh commissioner is uh commissioner voss in the yellow robe who turns out to be the asshole he's like offended he's like oh my god you put one of our our symbionts inside of a human you're an abomination we we need to rip this thing out of her right now which we learned from <laughs> abomination DS9. is a strong word <laughs> yeah well yeah, we, we yeah. learned from ds9 that when you remove a symbiont you kill the host they'll, they'll right. die shortly after so it would almost mean certain death for Adira, uh, and so that's a, that's a problem. I, I guess we know why they're wearing orange. So uh, someone <laughs> they're said, the assholes. Someone <laughs> said that this might be kind of a uh, a pro choice kind of a her body her choice type thing where uh, they they want to they want to remove uh, the 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 symbiont from her, but that's uh, not something that she's okay with doing. So Burnham kind of stands up for her, and she's like, no, you're not going to do this procedure on her when she doesn't want it. <laughs> yeah, I saw that comment. I, I think that's I, – I don't know how much that was uh, was thought thought about in the writer's room, but I, but I like the idea. So I did like – or at first I was annoyed that, that uh, Michael goes down with this big Type 2 phaser uh pistol when i'm thought this is a nice friendly medical aid first contact diplomaticy thing why wouldn't you use the cricket uh the little type ones uh, uh, which we know they have because you can see it attached to the top of the pistol but then i thought oh no this is michael who's seen some shit she's <laughs> she's been around she knows how crazy the galaxy is she's taken the big phaser so, yeah, uh, so once i'm I sure some of those that. courier runs got <laughs> dicey fast and she's like yeah, yeah. oh you never know when some old enemy might just show up right yeah so once i realized that i was like okay if it had been somebody else i would have been annoyed but then i was like yeah this is this is michael who's had a year on the streets she, she ain't messing around with those crickets anymore <laughs> so 
Yeah, and I saw a comment from Stress Free K in the chat. Uh, how did Riker survive his detrilling? The, the next generation uh that that was when they were first you know establishing the trill so i don't think they had established many of the rules yet but i think that was just like that was never like a successful permanent uh bond so they they they, they kind of established that was just like a temporary uh you know uh half measure type of thing to just pull this yeah. off for a few days and then it's not going to take fully and they got to pull the plug on it yeah and, and things went very differently Riker was like completely assumed yeah. in that case it, and, right. and it was entirely the other guy talking through they, Rikers. They, you know. they establish here that you know there's never been a successful bond with a non-trill uh host which yeah like with that you know Riker example is is like well you know they could pull it off for a few days but not for like a permanent bond yeah um and so i think that's i think that's what we're meant to uh interpret um but the the leader pub she says like okay we're not gonna like or separate you but you have to get the hell off of our planet because you're just gonna piss a bunch of people off if you stay here so it is kind of like earth where they're like just go just leave we don't want you here <laughs> i didn't think it was i did think it was odd that they didn't say well we're gonna have to continue this on your ship out of the sight of the public uh the, but they, they're totally willing to give up the symbiote uh over this the cultural ramifications of this getting in the press well it, it deals uh, with which... one of the bigger uh, the bigger themes of the episode i think uh the one of the bigger themes of uh forget me not is about um kind of clinging on to your past and kind of like not but at the same time like not processing your trauma and that's kind of like the thing here where she says you know like the only thing we have left is our ideas and it's kind of like you know like culturally like they're not they they haven't like accepted the the severity of their compromise situation and said like okay we might have to expand beyond just trill and we might have to like look into other uh, species as host and this actually might be like an opportunity this isn't like an affront to our belief system this might be like our golden ticket of our, our salvation you know maybe they would have been a little calmer if they had gone to saru's thanksgiving dinner yeah well <laughs> they didn't i don't think that would have helped convince them of the competence of the discovery crew could have made it extra <laughs> awkward yeah but uh commissioner voss is uh instead of escorting them back to the shuttle he's like no i'm gonna take the symbiote and I like that these guards he has, they have like the, the glowy sticks. It felt very TOS. It was very TOS throwback. Oh, yeah. they, would, they would have weapons like this. But of course, Michael Burnham can make short work of them because she is a uh, badass when it comes to physical confrontation. She really yeah, looks she like it in these like almost, almost blasé about how she kicked their ass. <laughs> they, she knows about the, the caves. They want to get to the caves of uh, Makala because that's where uh, the Guardian Z had wanted to take them and and when Voss doesn't, when he's like, no, I'm not going to tell you how to get there. She's just like, okay, good night or whatever she says. And just stuns them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I like that they, they remember that, like, yeah, like if you have stun weapons, like it's very easy to, you just, if bad guys don't do what you want them to do, you just make them take a nap, you know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Especially if you're Michael that. Burnham. And, you know. <laughs> they, they forget, like, I love, I love the animated series episode, the Lorelei signal when Uhura beams down with the all woman, uh, uh, security team and the the aliens in that episode like they they weren't uh when she's like you know where's the captain where's spock where are all the men and like the, those aliens like we're gonna tell you anything she's like okay and she just stuns all of them and it's like i guess we're gonna look for it's like yeah you can stun people yeah it does seem like adira in this screenshot you just had up was not ready for that <laughs> <laughs> 
To be honest, I think Saru would have a similar look on his face at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah he would be like, um, Burnham. Yeah, you know, like I did like occur to me that this... Shock face. At first I thought, you know, see, if you'd brought Tilly along, this would be the moment where Michael says, okay, Tilly, sneak through the woods, get in the shuttle, take off, act like we're on board so nobody realizes we're still down here on the planet and it'll take us until these bozos wake up before anyone raises an alarm. Uh... And then I realized the problem is Tilly gets back up and then it sabotages your whole Thanksgiving thing because everyone's worried about the problem on the planet. Mm-hmm. And you need everyone on Discovery to think everything's going fine on the planet for, for, for the story to work, I guess. Because they Saru wouldn't be all angsting about what what kind of uh, what kind of crackers to serve. <laughs> it needed to be purely about their problems on the ship. Yeah, their yeah. internal stuff. So I, I guess we just have to assume the triller really slow at catching on that these guys never. <laughs> Their video, off. those were video game guards where uh, they immediately went back on patrol when they woke up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Guardian Z is like the the nice trill that we have, and, and so he's like, "Okay, come with me. I'll take you to the the caves of Mikala." And they they get there. It was really cool to return to this location that was introduced in in yeah. DS Nine. Uh, but I, I guess what they need to do is they need to put uh, Adira into the into the symbiote pool with the the other slugs swimming, uh, swimming around in there. And there's kind of a I don't know if they 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 went into a lot of detail with it here, but there's like electric pulses that like these things communicate with each other mentally through like electric pulses and the 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 liquid. And so like if they put her in there, they could like stabilize her mind. Uh, hopefully, and and the, with the the goal in mind of being able to restore her memories, that'll help uh, the Discovery crew. That'll help Adira, and that'll help the the Trill here if they're able to, uh, you know, successfully. It felt all uh, very sort of uh, mystic-y to me. Like I wasn't quite sure. I didn't quite understand how it was all supposed to work, but I understood that it kind of was like sci-fi mysticism. You know, like yeah. oh yes, we're doing it with energy impulses, but the net effect is like. You know the kind of dreams that uh, Merlin or you know other like magical type yeah. characters have. Yeah, I had a little bit of issue with that too. It felt it felt more fantastical here than it did on Deep Space Nine, where it felt. I a think lot it more was science meant fiction. to feel like this. They just didn't have the budget to make it, their cave look as good as this cave did. But I, I kind of feel like that's what they were going for. All I do too. I agree with night. that. Um, yeah, there um, was actually. I, I'm a very like secular minded person in real yeah. life. So I kind of like, I view everything through that lens. And if, if, yeah. if you have like, I guess coded spirituality, it's probably going to, in all honesty, it probably is going to like go over my head. I'm not, yeah. it's not something that I look for or detect. This, this was another gaming trope. If you, the, if you go to a planet, you got to visit all, uh, all the, all the most memorable places from, from the TV show or movies. And this was definitely the most memorable place on Trill. So we have to have some scenes there, but. Yeah. And he has like this, this orb, which was kind of like a weird machine and almost seems like kind of like a magical device, you know, kind of like a, a, a crystal ball or something, but the. Uh, it looked like a motorcycle up. helmet with a, a glowing gr- blue <laughs> ball in it. Maybe that's what it was. You have to <laughs> ask the, the prop guy on, on Twitter. Maybe he can tell you. But yeah, it actually it actually has like a pretty cool scientific use that I'll I'll bring up in the the Gorn eggs later at the end of the show. But yeah, they they put Adira into here and she drifts away and this thing is you know doing like weird mental stuff to her. I guess all of a sudden like it kind of becomes hmm. unstable. The orb cracks, and then, oh no, like, the party is crashed by the other trill. They all show up. 
right when <laughs> right when Adira is kind of like uh you know it, it's concerning all of a sudden she sinks down in the water and vanishes it was cool how they made that happen they talked about it on the ready room it was pretty neat mm-hmm. like yeah how they, how they yeah the behind the, the scenes uh, stuff effect. was kind of neat on that it's it's funny how like uh you know they have like a bunch of stuff that's like very high tech uh, and then there's some things that are very simple, like when she suddenly submerges dramatically, literally a guy under her holding a handle type thing they built to pull her under. And he just <laughs> has to hold his breath waiting for his cue. <laughs> like, it's just like very old school at times. Yeah, <laughs> that's a lot of times like those old practical things, you know, they're still incredibly effective. But this is where, Dave, you had mentioned to me previously when we were talking about this last night that uh, Michael is is very impulsive. I, I think you were referring to this when she's just like, "Okay, I'm diving in to get her." <laughs> They're like, "Y'all aren't going to stop me. Like, someone's got to go in there." So, <laughs> I think I was actually specifically thinking about how she how quickly she kind of drew down on the uh, trill. But but it's like it's multiple things. She is kind of a uh, still uh, has remained a, a an impulsive person. If if I were, I, I don't know that they've ever spelled this out. But if I were sort of psychoanalyzing the character, I'd say that that's one of the ways that she kind of resisted her Vulcan upbringing was to, to, to have this impulsive streak. The, um, I did like that they, the, tr- their other trills aren't like complete hard asses about it when they catch them. And they're like, you know, Oh yeah. no, we're going to lock you up. That's it's all over. And, 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 you know, cause a lesser sci-fi shows would just, Oh, these are the good guys. And these are the bad guys. And the bad guys are always bad. And the good guys are always good. They, they, they're like, no, no. Okay. We've gone yeah. this far. Let's see what happens. You know, yeah, even, even back in, in, you know, the very first Star Trek episode ever made with the cage, you know, yeah. There's a, there's there's typically some nuance to your antagonists in Star Trek. It's, right, uh, that is yeah. a tradition. But yeah, Burnham kind of does the weird trance thing too, and then vanishes on, under the water. And this is where it felt like kind of more like fantasy when there's like this whole other realm that I guess is supposed to be like within Adira's mind. But then like, where did their bodies go when like Burnham's in the water? She's like, I can't find Adira's body. So yeah, they like physically, physically disappeared. Yeah, this I, is, it just feels a little bit more, uh, slightly more fantasy than I would prefer in my Star Trek. It doesn't ruin the story for me, but it's just, it, it is not my preference. Father, the, the water in the pool is H2016, so if you drown, you can actually breathe. Uh, no, I don't know. <laughs> the, um, again, this is one of my favorite tropes when I'm running my games is shared dreamscapes inside somebody's head or maybe yeah, both this. people's did, head. Did you write this I do this, this all the time. Holy yeah. hell, Brian. That's a, you're like, <laughs> like everything. Yeah. Shared uh, dreamscapes in, um, in sort of fantasy. And I also see that I've seen this as a trope in like superhero settings quite a bit. Like just as a random example, Hulk's had lots of personalities in the comics over the years. And there's been at least a few issues I think written where he, in an internal mindscape, the different personalities all sit down and talk to each other. Yeah. Well, that's and, also um, a um, that's a hyper visual medium, and artists sure. love to like draw, uh, you know, stuff. Like I've talked to comic book artists that are like, yeah, like I'll get like these scripts that are very like normal, real world stuff, but I'll try to come up with all like these insane, like otherworldly type images to to put in there because that's what I want to draw. Right, or just do dramatic angles and things like that to liven it up. Also, all this could have happened in two minutes, so they could have just been, you know, underwater for two minutes and popped back That's up true. as far as everyone That's else true. is concerned. They, uh, Narnia water. 
Yeah, but where did Adira go? Like, why couldn't Michael find her body in there? I assume there's just a hole down in the bottom that goes into a lower yeah. chamber. There's a bunch of those those in. worms, like, are just, like, holding her down. Actually, maybe it yeah, would have been one, be. a very boring thing where she would have been like, she's gone, she's gone. Oh, nope, she was just a few feet over to the right. I found her. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Let me try to pull her out, and then, boom, she ha- she's in the vision. <laughs> she does find her when she enters, like, the weird dreamscape where she's all freaked out and there's I, I thought it was very visually interesting all those weird um the, the threads that yeah they're, they're trying yeah. to connect to it it's also like kind of scary um yeah. especially like if you ever watched like um animated japanese pornography or i mean like it could be exciting <laughs> if you know d- depending depending on 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 what you're into it could be exciting Are you talking or about like ten- tentacle hentai or tentacle yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is that well, what trying to beat around the bush and, uh, <laughs> on a uh, on a metaphorical level though it uh, it works because the idea of like trying to actually like self-examine to, to to see what your own difficulties are is a scary and strange and and, and yeah. eerie sort of thing so i think it works on that level and, and the tentacles are all her memories yes. trying to get back to her conscious mind they're all they're in her unconscious and mm. they're trying to get into her conscious mind and and she's afraid of those memories she instinctively knows this is not going to be fun it, the, the theme of the episode the theme of the episode about like like not wanting to like think about like your past, not wanting to like deal with your trauma, like trying to yeah. like, you know, run from it. She says like, if I stand in one spot too long, these things will come for me. So I'm like moving around. Yeah. It's like that idea of like not being able to let yourself admit that, okay, this is something, this is a hard thing that I got to deal with. It's part of me. And then it's kind of embracing it. And, and what Colbert said about like that post-traumatic growth, you know, have, having that, that growth process. I think also there's a degree of like, uh, you know, even though she's protecting the tall uh, symbiont, uh, it's very painful. I think the blackout came from the fact that it's very painful whenever maybe um, Gray tried to emerge uh, and connect. Uh, Adira may have blocked that. And so that was the final step was like her kind of like allowing tall to completely connect yeah. with and, and and you know and and be one with uh, adira and and so she finally let go of that that block which was which was um great and the reward is extraordinary i mean she gets her uh lover back in a weird yeah. new well, kind of way yeah. let's talk about yeah. tall and the, the flashback <laughs> this whole flashback thing like adira is kind of reluctant to to you know look into her past and then she keeps trying to like pull out of it and burnham has to kind of like push her you know like like no like you need to do this um so it is something that's like painful but if you you know put all the flashback stuff together without like the sequences of her coming out i'll just you know run through the the events quickly but she was a orphan on a generational ship with her boyfriend, this this young trill named Gray, uh, mm-hmm. who is uh, played by Ian Alexander. We were told about him uh, several weeks ago. He is the uh, first um, uh, openly uh, transgender actor in uh, in Star Trek. He's a, uh, a trans male character. But yeah, he, uh, the character Gray is, uh, Adira's boyfriend on this generational ship. It's off trying to find Starfleet. So this is that outbound ship that, uh, Admiral Sinatol must have died on. And, and after he died, the Trill was, uh, the simiate was implanted in Gray, probably the only other Trill on, on the ship, we can assume. And there's this process of, of this procedure to do that where we see flashbacks of 
Adira, you know, worried about, you know, losing her boyfriend. Is he going to be the different after he goes through this? And he, he goes through this procedure and, and, you know, he says, I'm still me, but I'm just more. I'm all these other memories and experiences. And now I can play the cello really well. And uh, they, I thought their relationship really worked. We get to spend a, a little bit of time with just, you know, them being in love. Uh, Adira watching gray play the cello and you know giving them the this gift that she made for him what did y'all think about the the romantic stuff here i thought it, i thought it, it was actually pretty effective i i bought it i, I noticed our, uh, our our commenters seemed slightly divided oh I, I thought it was great i loved watching it uh and again i spent the last year of my role-playing game with a two 14 year old kids of uh of LGBT status, let's say broadly, um, in a romance while they were on a mission trying to save their parents and and that they were in love. And this was like, wow, this feels like <laughs> the last year of my game. <laughs> and them getting horribly hurt and having to do crazy things to save each other. Again, just like my game. <laughs> I think amazing. that it... Um... Veered maybe uh, like like a few times. This is one of those things that veered a little too schmaltzy for me. But I'd say like ninety percent of it I liked. I think the fact that they had sort of that uh, playful banter, they call each other idiot and stuff like that, uh, and 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 that that you know Adira could be genuinely concerned about the change, which you know kind of feels like it fits into a very you know metaphorical Star Trekky way of also discussing discussing people who transition. Um, you know, like, like it, that all kind of came together for me. I, I thought it was really yeah. good. Yeah. yeah and, I, and I, I thought a lot I of it, a lot of it came from the performance in Adira. Uh, like she played like the insecurity of like, oh, you're like this amazing cello maestro now. And I'm just like this, this weird kid that likes to make art and, and like, all, like all of that stuff. Uh, I, I, I bought it into it hook line and sinker and they then, have great chemistry. They have really, yeah, I thought they, so they have excellent the, chemistry. The chemistry yeah. is there. And I thought, I thought it was a neat idea that the, the gift that she made was the, uh, the, the quilt. Uh, the, yeah. the, the I, oh, that, that broke my heart. That's what like did it. Yeah. Cause that's such like a sweet idea of like, Oh yeah, yeah. this is like all of our memories of our relationship. This is a, uh, like you know, when the replicator would stop making apples, or when we were playing yeah. imaginary chess. I, I, I predict quilt giving going uh, going up in the nerd Star Trek nerd community, <laughs> yeah. uh, well, romance if, community if are back this on holiday. I liked that the quill was clearly handmade. It wasn't something she designed on a computer and then pressed replicate. Uh, that was a nice, uh, you know, and it kind of looked a little crappy because of that, but that was <laughs> endearing. And you said it was a little schmaltzy. Uh, th- this is two years ago, right? This flashback. That, yeah, I, I think that's that. what they said. Yeah, I, yeah. I thought they said so. They're 14, 14, which is the same age as the kids in my game. But um, fourteen-year-olds are schmaltzy when they're yeah. doing stuff like this. They, Why that's how can't do I it. be a teenager <laughs> in love? The cheese felt real, like real. Sometimes, cheese. It's, it's you know, sometimes it's the music and stuff too, like that, like. I would rather let the characters uh, like pull me in than the music tell me, you know, be touched right now. Yeah. And, and so sometimes the schmaltz is more like uh, that. But I'd say like ninety percent of it I like. And and you know I'm with uh, I'm with Adira. If if I was dating someone and they were suddenly like a uh, concert level violinist or cellist, uh, I'd I'd be like, oh, I suck. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So I'm not down with that. <laughs> I, I would have trouble <laughs> dating a trill. 
Yeah, that would be, especially if you're so young and so inexperienced, incredibly intimidating um, to have somebody that that much. Someone who has 800 years of life experience. Overnight, like overnight, literally, like, yeah, it it must be something. And so like, yeah, and, and from Gray's perspective, now Gray has the memories of all these other hosts so gray all of a sudden has all their romances and so now gray's like a, a boss like a you know like a yeah. like a boss when and, and also has the perspective let's yeah. be honest here that this is not necessarily the only person i'll ever be in right. love with which right. when you're your first love you absolutely feel that this is it this is yeah. the one yeah. There, yeah. there can be no other uh and uh so that that too would be you know yeah there's all sorts of fascinating stuff going on uh i in fact honestly realistically i'm not sure the relationship would survive it but uh it's science fiction so we'll let it i'll let yeah. it pass i i hope for the i hope it all works out in whatever way as the story continues this season but i do think that that you know discovery um i think is sometimes i think melodramatic successfully and sometimes melodramatic unsuccessfully it's one of i i probably my bigger overall issues with it you know it's i think it speaks to sometimes that unearned emotional payoff that you that you were talking about uh, an episode or two back fathery um but uh it sounds like for most of us here this one hit though and what what also hit was that big ass asteroid that collided with the ship. <laughs> well done. That caused massive oh damage, and Gray ended up being impelled by this. I actually shard didn't know what it was. It, it bothered me slightly that I was. Did they, did they say? Did the computers say like proximity warning or something? It was a dark yeah. asteroid. Uh, they couldn't tell mm-hmm. it was coming. <laughs> dark matter. Dark matter. Dark asteroid. matter. It's, all, it's yeah. a dark I mean, asteroid. These are the post burn ships, so they're. Yeah. Flying around at sub light speed because uh, it's the you know slow ass generational ship, so they're probably like, oh, we don't need deflectors. We're probably not going to like hit anything. <laughs> I wonder <laughs> where the ship was. I wonder. I I would love. I I hope that we get some flashbacks, maybe to spend a little time on the generational ship because it is a fascinating concept, like to be on a generational ship. But yeah, you're right. Like, we, we, yeah, uh, for all we it know, feels someone like something we might see from here yeah. on. I kind of feel yeah. like generational ships are kind of. I don't know. That's kind of like weak, low level shit for my Star Trek. Like, I want, like a little bit more high. If you don't have Star warp Trek. drive, I guess you're gonna what freeze you, everybody in, in yeah. the two cylinders. I, I, and... I, no, I agree. It makes sense, but I not something. I'm interested in spending time with. Like, by I, the way, their I, tech was high tech. I love the medical, like during the during the the yeah. the symbio, symbiont transfer scene with those yeah, floating those droids. From droids, the and credits, then we finally yeah, see and those then, in action. Yeah. yeah, and then this droid too was great. Like how it was like just I love that it like appeared right away. It was assessing, and you could tell it could do the surgery really well. And it like and it, that's it one of cool. the droids from the credits, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And, I thought it was so heartbreaking to see like this, like this quilt that we're like, oh, we just got introduced to this thing, but we like it so much. And I was like covered in blood as like this character is dying. It's like, it's like, yeah, like this relationship ends covered in blood with death. Yeah. Yeah. You got to turn that knife. Just turn it. Your players will take it. Trust me. Just keep <laughs> twisting. Uh, never miss a chance to impale your 14-year-old PC. So one of the criticisms <laughs> I've heard is that, um, you know, people people were kind of beaten up on Discovery for killing off Dr. Colbert in season one. Uh, I had never heard of this before it happened in Star Trek, but the bury your gay trope. Yeah. And oh, yeah. Pe- mm. People basically express that they're tired of seeing 
uh, gay characters killed on TV shows. Apparently, it, it or, happens. Or, or a, you a kill lot. the black guy, or you kill the black guy. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I Discovery think, did both. I <laughs> think it's. I think it is a poor trope because I. I get the behind it. It's like to make these characters martyrs so they stick with you a little more, and you like kind of feel like more. You know, you want to like stand for them or whatever. But yeah, we're past that. I think now we. I'm glad we got to stop well, doing that. Do- do you think that they they doubled down on it here with with what happened to Gray as like the, the first trans? Not character? Be, because of the ending, I would say no. But right. I, I am again not in that community, so maybe I sure. shouldn't be talking. I would I would just say oddly, it's weird that Discovery has had a haunting every season. I, I brought this up, <laughs> but like there was a oh, yeah. you, you know Hugh haunts uh, uh, um, Stamets, and then May haunts Tilly, and now Gray is haunting. Um, Interesting. Yeah. 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 I actually, you, you know, like what you said, Brian, like, I, I don't know if I really have, like, the right to an opinion on, on that situation specifically. So I, if anyone does feel that way, I would love to, to hear about it. And uh, I think you should definitely voice that opinion. Just, just for me, the storytelling here was very effective. And I would f- compare this more to, like, you know, the opening of Star Trek 09 or the opening of Deep Space Nine, where, yeah, they, they kind of... They kind of introduce, like, they kind of kick off a story with, like, the death yeah. of a character, but it's in a very, uh, it's in a way that kind of builds a lot of e- emotional investment uh, right yeah. off the bat. Something that, yeah, like I said last week, Discovery has lacked. So yeah. I this this is actually, like, an earned emotional investment for me that I don't typically get with this show, so I really love it because of that. I would, I would point out that Colbert's death removed a character. This is really the introduction story, adding a character to the cast. Yeah, that's it a good may point. be a True. ghost character, but from a narrative point of view, when you step back, they just added a character to the yeah, cast. Yeah, nothing and again, lost. I don't know if I'm qualified to speak on this topic, so maybe I'm pissing people off and I apologize. <laughs> I think compared somewhere to, uh, what do you call it, the um, uh, and Battlestar Galactica and the uh, presence of... Uh, was it six? Yeah, Baltar that... and six. Yeah, it's Baltar kind of like that. Except with yeah, actually, um, like, I'm like... gonna guess with less sex, but but I don't know. <laughs> or maybe it could, more. It could be... I don't, like I don't know. Like um, I I mean, I'm there's definitely the focus on it less. But there's yeah. definitely yeah. precedence. There's definitely precedence that hosts can sometimes manifest as a dreamlike yes. hallucination or whatever. Yeah, we're gonna talk about that in the Gordons. Um, uh, yeah. But I just want to say, like, as someone who explored maybe asexuality and gender identity in high school, I wish I had a character like this uh, to kind of make it less awkward than it was. And I, I do appreciate, again, uh, someone in the comments, I think, said, like, uh, Adira and Gray are great characters for youth. And I think this is the reason why, because they are kind of presenting new ideas about this stuff and i think it's great for young people growing up today where where gender identity is not as like binary (laughs) no pun intended as it was (laughs) when i was growing up (laughs) yeah not only is it a good thing for you know people people that relate to that type of stuff to be able to see that representation but i think also you know for the rest of us to be able to uh understand i mean like i don't when i was when i was the age of these characters like i didn't know they know what transgender was or like gender non-binary or like any of that stuff. I mean, this is stuff most of us just learned within the last five or 10 years. So I think, I think it is good to, to push it, you know, to the, to the, into our, our media. I experienced a tragic sort of personal experience. We won't get too deep into it. Father, I, I don't want to hijack that, you know, with 
giving personal information, but just someone I knew transitioned way early on before people were before it was when when only Wendy Carlos, if you guys know who that is, was was uh, was an example of a, a, a trans person. And uh, to me, again, to me, it's just great. This showed me why representation is so important is all I, I, I should say, I should say there. Now, there is one little kind of a possible plot hole is that if no one had ever done like a successful symbiont transfer into a human, why did these droids, was this like a desperation move or is this something that maybe Admiral Tall before he died, maybe he had like looked into like in case something happens to me and Gray both, the symbiont can live through like this procedure or something it could just be you know dr crusher making some crazy medicine because yeah. on the fly because we gotta that's the only thing that's gonna work I and these droids was, yeah, could be like sapient you know or the computer that runs the droids could be sapient so they they could quite easily you know you could just put it down to all right we have this symbiote's gonna the rescue team's not gonna get there for six hours because of burning hall burning vacuum filled hallways the only choice is this other kid so <laughs> if we would have known exactly what they were doing though there would have been more payoff at the end of this when we when we kind of uh wrap things up with with the trail I'll, I'll bring it up when we get to that did you guys like the death scene that we got i guess i no no i, I like it. it was very yeah. effective on me yeah yes. like, like yeah I, it worked it, was, it, it, it hit all the right buttons for me personally that i think they were reaching for yeah, I cried. Well, so, well, yeah, when they yeah, the fact that they show that Adira was kind of had been going through these doubts uh, as as far as dramatic beats go, I found it really affecting to have her like, oh, I don't know how I feel. You know, you're you're different now. I'm not sure what I think. And then in this, the the the, the biggest moment of crisis, the, the, she, the you know about to lose her lover, she she is able to say, uh, I I will you know fulfill this deepest of possible obligations and carry on your legacy personally. Uh, it was just, yeah, super touching. Yeah. It was cool to see all of the symbionts. And we learned that like this trail must be at least, uh, old enough to go to the time of Star Trek Picard. So like 800 years old, you, you think they yeah. maybe would have had like more than seven hosts, but who knows, human maybe... li- uh, trail lifespans are pretty impressive with that medical technology of the future. Yeah, well, I'm just saying, like, Dax was a lot younger and had a lot more... Dax had, like, eight hosts and was only, like, 400 years old. Yeah, but Dax played hard and fast and got herself <laughs> killed much more often. So. <laughs> well, what, if, what do you think about how, like, Admiral Tall is the only, like, elderly uh, host? Yeah, I assume, uh, like, most of these are just... They're, we're just kind of seeing, like, the face that they want to project, not necessarily right, okay. what they look like at death. Yeah, this is like first like ghost that, questions. Yeah, yeah Gray, Gray, yeah. Does, Gray doesn't have a big hunk of stuff sticking out of her chest. Her but it, it, chest. it was Sorry. cool. It was His cool chest. to see. Um, it was cool to see Adira and Gray get to see each other again, and then yeah. uh, Admiral Tall. He, like, I like that we kind of have like this build up to like meeting this character that they've been talking yeah. about since last week, and he he uh, was like this nice old grandpa. He's like friendly and everything, and, yeah. uh, and like they're so like welcoming to uh, Adira yeah. into the group. And, and Michael Burnham is thanking him. You know, thank you for the message you sent out. I I, I hardly feel like uh, old white men need more representation. <laughs> but uh, we've seen enough kind of like rogue Starfleet admirals and stuff like that. And you know, there's there, there's sometimes every once in a while, uh, yeah, I see the uh, I'm going to say the conservative faction of Star Trek being like, uh, you know, oh, I guess I must be an old white man. We have no rights or whatever. Um, well. Here was a here was an old white man who seemed like a sweetheart. So yeah, uh, so, yeah. Well, so is Guardian Z. 
He's a, yeah. a mm-hmm. nice old white man. Yeah. I don't think they That's were true. I don't think yeah. they were like really aiming for any message in that, but I, I don't fe- think so I felt either. like Guardian think... Z was closer to my age, so now I feel old. <laughs> but thanks a lot. <laughs> I, uh, I I loved the sequence of of all these different yeah. aspects, and again, that's something else I do in my dreamscapes all the time: is personification of aspects of your personality as separate individuals that you can talk to, like in the Hulk comics. Uh, but yeah, it was just beautiful to see them all come up and and look. Here it is. We're all together symbolically. Welcome it's to the circle. Communications and, oh yeah, like that. is that flowing. A, was welcome to the circle something we've heard before? Is that something that they? I know? think that's new. It was something I don't know. new, and I didn't like it. Oh, no, why? <laughs> I don't know. Just it just felt weird. It felt like they're making like. Well, this I guess circle is sort of a specific thing, and you know, maybe like the lineage might feel like more reflective of how they speak about it but um, it was just like that discovery thing like it kind of felt like that discovery like we're gonna force this to be like so ceremonious and maybe i don't know in a circle no point is more important than any other point on a circle and they're all linked i kind of like it now that i think about it yeah and for her for for adira this is a big deal she just unlocked yes. all of this experience. This is yeah. no, quite no, she's, possibly she's the, the biggest deal that will thing that will ever happen to her brain. What I what I think was cool was that they did integrate the DS9. Dax kind of does this like gesture in oh. Equilibrium, and it's I kind of about that too. Yeah, and so it kind of echoes that, and I thought that was cool. But I felt like they kind of like kind of made a mountain out of a molehill with that. That was kind of like a small thing in the original. But anyways, uh, Adira now is like, yeah, she knows all of the all the towels. She has all their memories, everything. So everyone's really happy and impressed, and all the other Trill are, are like, oh, this is so cool. Why are they happy? How is this going to... I, I, I wasn't entirely clear how this is going to help the rest of the Trill. Because... They tell, Gar- like, the, the leader tells Z, like, you've, you've revolutionized this now. Like, now we can start using non-trill hosts. So now okay. now we will have hosts for all of our symbionts. The reason why I said they needed to explain what those droids did, uh, you know, two years earlier, the reason why that needed to be clarified, because I don't know what the hell happened here, why it worked this time, and why is it repeatable? And I think that's kind of an important thing to overlook, because the, yeah. we're left with the impression, okay, Guardian Z can repeat this now, but like how? Why? Like he didn't really do anything, <laughs> but yeah. like he gets he gets kind of the credit. Yeah, so yeah. It it kind of felt like Discovery being Discovery there for a moment with that. I, I wish they would have explained this. Are they? If they can now figure out how to do humans, that means they can do all the other unfit trill. Uh, can now that we've we figured out the trick for doing the unfit trill, yeah, or maybe. is it still humans work better than actual trills? But Ad- right. Adira says Adira says the symbionts aren't just for the trill; they're here for everybody. So yeah. I think I think the idea is that like now, like th- this planet is going to like open its doors to other species to like select hosts from uh, beyond the trill population. Imagine they, if. Imagine if Gray and uh, um, Adira's story was Dax and Worf's story. I know this horrified uh, Trek on the tube, but imagine if uh, Worf had accepted the Dax uh, symbiont to to preserve uh, Jadzia. That would have been an interesting take in DS9 for back then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I just want to quick mention that I, I actually uh, found maybe almost more affecting than her um, uh, beating the, the different uh, hosts uh, when 
the sort of the sequence where she's presented before that sort of council and they do the um what is it speak your name sort of thing and she yeah. says her lineage uh, I, I guess I have a soft spot for that kind of thing. Um, uh, it's one of my favorite scenes in Enemy Mine, the uh, the old 80s movie when uh, uh, Louis Gossett Jr.'s alien character uh, kind of like gets, gets his uh, human counterpart to sort of give his lineage as best he can and explain how important it is to his people. And it's funny because it's not, I'm not like a big genealogy person or something like that, but I, I, I guess I like the idea of, for, of it for people who, for whom it is. <laughs> I liked it too. I really dug it when they, I think that to the Trill society, uh, it's just part, like they have this, like it's ingrained in them to revere those who can, uh, can host. Right. And so if they haven't seen a host in a long time to hear them, like be so confident and recall their, their selves. Uh, I think, I think that must be a very profound experience. And I, I certainly felt it, uh, for the, in the scene. And I, I loved it. I thought it was great. It kind of had that majesty and mystery vibe to it of like royalty and like being kind of anointed or something like that. And maybe that's too far, but I dug it. I love all that stuff. And we also get like, not only the satisfaction of like, uh, the asshole Voss like apologizes, but then the, the, the leader (laughs) says, uh, you know, when the uh, Federation returns, we're going to be ready to discuss another type of joining. So it sounds like the Trill are ready to sign back up for the Federation. I love it. I have such a dirty mind when she said that. The first thing I thought was, oh, they're going to fuck. Av and Bernal? Yeah, yeah. And I was like, what? Are... What are they? Why would... Oh, oh, they mean join the Federation. Oh, God. I'm such a yeah, well, well, Burnham, Burnham told her, Burnham told Pav it would be my honor. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it definitely just for a second, my pervy, pervy brain just went off in a completely You're a bad person. Way. Brian. Well, well, let's uh, let's get off of that subject. We're going to completely uh, change topics. We're going to talk about uh, just real quickly because it's actually not that much, but the Saru on the ship stuff with uh, with the crew morale story. Doctor Colber basically finished his uh, his um out of physical exams whatever he was doing but he he said yeah everyone's healthy except their stress hormones are like sky high we got to do something like get these people to mellow out so saru i like that he has his his ready room all decorated by the way like he has he kind of like switched the uh the office desk and like the the conference table locations and but i I like i like that he, he captain saru has a ready room he's like a real captain now it also looks like it's kind of the conference room as well. Yeah, it's, it's well, it serves both purposes in season two. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so like this hybrid room, I guess. But yeah, so Saru turns to the computer for advice, kind of like he did in season one when he's in command for the first time. Uh, but he's asking it, uh, you know, what can we, what, what can I do to help these people? And it's telling them things like, I don't know, like they need to eat less dairy or do yeah. interstellar <laughs> shopping or yoga. <laughs> but he's like, I, I need something to, you know, something that will heal them, not like a list of activities. And then the computer comes back to life and turns into Zora from Calypso. So uh, what do y'all yeah. think of that? I was, I thought that was a nice surprise. I was so pumped. I was like, Sphere Data! <laughs> I gasped. Um, I actually gasped. I was like, <gasps> like it, it was really exciting. And I loved that what seemed to bring Zora to 
life, if you will, or, you know, uh, reveal itself is that Saru just can't, the computer is just not helpful. And Saru says, I need something like he kind of demands, like, I need something to heal my crew. And that's yeah. when like the, that comes out. And uh, Dom uh, Paris from uh, Trek Central, uh, I, I'll, I'll butcher it, but there's a German word f- called Klebauterman or something like that for an entity that arises when a crew loves their ship. And, and I when, think if, that's... If sailors take care of their ship, if, if you're a good crew and, and you're good sailors, you kind of like the spirit of your ship will protect you when you're out yes. at sea. Yeah. That's so this is idea. like a Klebauterman yeah. type of yeah. idea, which I really dug. <laughs> um, I, I thought that Saru was almost a little too uh, acquiescent about like suddenly finding out that the computers uh, was becoming sentient. Now we the we the viewers have had uh, we we know about Zora from the short Trek episode yeah. um, and stuff like that. But last he knew, uh, uh, you know, uh, sentient computer control was going to end all life in the universe a few weeks <laughs> yeah. ago. Well, well the, sh- the ship, the ship had already shown some signs of, you know. Yeah, I guess that that's that's true. Uh, so yeah. anyway, I, I was I'm actually somewhat neither here nor there on, on it so far. Uh, I do think having the you know a uh, computer that is going to uh, be like. Um, there, there have been times in like I'm, I'm thinking specifically of TOS. There have been times when the computer became sort of sentient and weird, yeah. right? The computer, yeah. the computer, really seems smarter in TOS than any other Star Trek show. <laughs> but, but I think this will be a, it'll be a nice thing to to make it feel one more thing to make it feel thirty second century is going to be have a computer that's got some sort of personality and to just it more of the discovery the weirdness. This is the weirdest yeah. show. Yeah, that that's just it's probably going to become increasingly quirky. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, Saru is just like okay, so I need to like have a big dinner and show them uh, Buster Keaton or Charlie Chaplin movies. Okay, I can do that. So <laughs> if we get uh, we get uh, Saru's um, Thanksgiving dinner where he he brings the the bridge crew. I told him the bridge crew. Although I thought it was weird. There's no chief engineer, and I I'm guessing Colber is the chief medical officer because he's here and and Doctor Pollard isn't. Didn't he just say the people he works most closely with? Um, yeah, he does say that. Um, like, Tilly's an ensign, so she doesn't need to. She doesn't need to be with these senior I, officers. He's he's grooming her for command. He's he's like uh, her um, mentor. Plus, a, a huge amount of the meat of this sequence that wouldn't work if Tilly wasn't there. But. It's, it's uh, Giorgio <laughs> is there. Linus, Reese, Bryce, Non, Colber, Tilly, and uh, Nielsen. And Owasakin and Detmer. Don't you love that you know their names now? I've I've known their names since season one. See, I'm still coming to turn. I still don't know about <laughs> half of those names. But... <laughs> well, father is father is very good at that. But um, the uh, I was going to say the the role of everybody here, you know, whether how carefully thought through they were by the writers, I don't know. But the role was was clearly to show you know a breakdown. A, uh, a a family dinner that went off the goes off the rails uh, after a little bit of a some some good stuff at first. Yeah. You know, there's yeah. it, it almost, actually it's is work. working. Is the prayer uh, of I a good thing? Because they're all like we're all depressed because we decided to come into the future. So let's have a toast to that moment that we said I that we said yes to coming into the future. But it works. <laughs> it actually that you I, can I see it. the energy levels going up as they work their way around. And even Giorgio is like. Okay, I'm here, which right. for her is a, a, you know, she could be really, she could really smack Saru down on all this mushy stuff if she wanted. She's clearly going along. For her, that's an open endorsement of the plan. It was weird for me that he called for a sort of 
prayer-like uh, intro, but I liked what they chose for it, and uh, and it was it was you know of course what he wanted them to think about was that moment of solidarity when they chose of their own volition to stand together as a mm-hmm. family. So I, I I fully get it. It's a little schmaltzy, but uh, yeah, like like that's it. like what I, I used I used to do uh, if a lot of fundraising for nonprofit organizations, and one of the things that they teach you in that is like. You know, you ask people, you know, can you give us $100? And they're going to say, like, no. And then you say, like, well, do you still support this cause? Blah, 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 blah. And, like, when you remind them of, like, uh, you know, why they like whatever it is they like, you know, like, yeah, why, remember when you chose to, like, stand with, with Michael and come into the future with and all this stuff? It's like, whenever you, you remind them, that's uh, refocusing. That's what they call that. It's like you refocus someone. And then, then you ask them for, like, a lesser amount of money, and they're more likely to give it. Hmm. So it's kind of like that's kind of like I guess Saru is using that tactic to to cheer. Father, can I have no. a billion dollars? No, <laughs> I don't have it. Uh, the Detmer scene was jarring for me. I actually found it really hard to kind of like hear her go into madness for a second. There, it was really weird. Yeah, I wasn't yeah. sure. Yeah. I, I actually even when all was said and done, I was like, oh, okay, is she supposed to be just experiencing the toughest PTSD of the crew, maybe uh, in some ways, or or. You know, is there still like uh, some busted mechanical thing? No, I, was, I think it's just I think it's just PTSD. I think so too. But like, what she said was particularly weird. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. I think I think the writing was a little uh, forced. It was too heavy-handed yeah. and not organic. I liked all the stuff leading up to it. Like I thought, like Linus eating that uh, droog beetle pie, and then Giorgio mm. is like into Linus. Like there, those characters are are. Oh. As Kit Walsh, he likes to say, they're hanging and banging. There's something going on. <laughs> uh, but I, and I like the shape um, of water. I like the, like the drama between Tilly and Stamets when Colbert picks up on it. You know, there's the tension from their work argument, and Colbert's like, "What is going on between you two? I like the Saru being like, "This is like the harvest on Kaminar," and then Giorgio making fun oh. of him with the uh, her her haiku. But but the haiku is still a a a teasing fun bit of making fun of somebody it is not the the brutal ruthless slams that giorgio is capable of of throwing out there i, I would have right. been okay if it was though kind of like i like when they remember that this character is an asshole like she likes to eat people like i i, I like I, I think season three has done like a better job of like letting her like be her more evil self i also like when the there the, we get to like the high tension moments here she's kind of like smiling she's like whenever the camera cuts to her. She kind of like has like this <laughs> grin on her face. Yeah, she's she like, I, find myself, I do that. I like in socially awkward situations when like people are like getting in a fight or something. Like if like a couple is like getting in like an argument in like front of other people and stuff, or like if they're like two friends are like about to get in a fight and they're yelling at each other. I always start smiling as I'm watching that, and like I, it's only it's a behavior that like now that I've caught on that I do it. I try to hide it, but I don't know for whatever reason. Like there in the moment, like I kind of watch. I, I kind of like watching, I like spectating that type of stuff. Uh, some whatever, whatever weird uh, reason. I, like I, I like I like seeing those those awkward well, confrontations. In her case, we know that she she's as much as said that she's kind of like is is bored easily. She likes she likes drama, and so so it's certainly uh, fit that she would be kind of enjoying. She'd be like, oh, finally, this party is going somewhere. Yeah, this is what I showed up for. <laughs> but I thought I thought like the Detmer like. I don't know, like, she's, like, Detmer is, like, all, like, smiling and trying to be, like, an asshole, and it was just weird. It was weird, like, they kind of, like, 
they kind of hang on it too long. Um, it felt forced. It was the one part of this I, I episode that, that worked the I, least well it, for me. I felt it. I th- I felt it was supposed to be deliberately, surreally, just strange. Like right. You, there is you something. I don't think said, you were supposed to be able to wrap your head around what was going on. Sometimes here. when people have a breakdown of sorts, it it happens in very unpredictable ways. But yeah, I I, I just I, I think it could have been done better. What what is the I, actor's I, I, name? I guess, the, oh, I don't know who I plays don't know. Detmer. It, um, it was. Is it Olivia? No, it's something Coots. It's um, I can't remember her first name. Emily, 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 Emily Coots. Coots. Yeah. So yeah. I, I actually, one thing that I appreciated about it, it did, it was jarring, but it reminded me so much of uh, The Shining, like how when he starts to have his like, oh, Jesus you know, Christ, don't don't compare. Oh. Don't compare this to like Jack Nicholson, like oh, sorry, the best sorry. American actors ever. <laughs> sorry, okay, bad, bad Starfleet ba- boy, bad Starfleet boy. Let's just let's just take that back. <laughs> I da- I dared to well, do it. <laughs> I guess she's not going to be following the podcast anymore. After I that. thought the actress was doing a good job. She just it's like they gave her some. Uh, some Chris Claremont from old X-Men comics uh, dialogue to work with. It was, uh, it was a little tough, but, but let's, <laughs> let's move on father. What else we got? Yeah. Well, like, you know, her and Stamets are basically yelling about like, Ooh. I fly the ship, but you know, I am the one who like really is the one saving the ship. And Tilly is like, you're both being assholes. And Summer is like, can't we all get along? You know, that's this thing that we learned last week. And everyone eventually, like, like storms out. Uh, I like that Owo kind of, like, had, like, Detmer's back because they're, like, uh, uh, buddies at the front of the bridge, I guess. Uh, yeah. But eventually it just ends up with, like, sad Saru. Giorgio, Giorgio made me laugh when she's like, <laughs> well, at least the wine was good. And she takes the bottle of wine with her as she leaves. Classic. Like, yeah. That's that's what I would want to do in this situation. I, I would I would want to be the person who does that. So we have sad, depressed Saru, but then Tilly comes to cheer him up, and I think it's kind of weird. Like this little ensign Tilly, they kind of forget that she's an ensign sometimes. They kind of like make her be, you know, one of the the most important people and, and like give advice to the captain. I like I have a hard time seeing like Chekhov and Kirk or Harry Kim and Janeway uh, or Nog and Cisco having a uh, the same type of conversation. But, uh, you know, whatever. She she comes to thank him. She's like, you know, thank you for putting this on. And then Stamets comes to apologize to her. And the, I got the, a little the, panicked at this point that everybody was going to, like, randomly show up. I was worried about it. I uh, did uh, wonder if that was far. going to happen. I, I, I wasn't panicked, <laughs> but I, I did wonder, are they going to do that? that yeah, but I guess, I guess the, the kind of the, the shitty thing about this uh, B plot is that they're, they actually, like, don't... There's no, like, moment. There's no, like, action that any person takes. There's no climax to the story that, like, turns things around. Uh, basically, all they do is they just wait. They just wait a few minutes, and then everyone, like, apologizes and makes up to one another. You know, I, I guess I don't mind that bit of realism yeah. that, 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 you know, the evolution is 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 people... The cool-down period, I guess. Um, I'm okay with that conceptually. Again, I probably think it could have been done better, but I, I liked it just fine. I was uh, like, okay, you know, you get out of the room, you stop, you think about 
everything you've said and done and you're like, you know, maybe I'm the asshole. So yeah. <laughs> I just sort of thought that like some of the problems that people were experiencing, that there'd be more people who were just like missing family and loved ones from before. You know, they mentioned that uh, losing their connection. Colbert mentioned it in his opening narration. And instead they kind of made it all the problems that were just sort of like their front and center grievances, you know, that like seemed like day-to-day work problems. Yeah. But, but when you have all that other stuff draining away your emotional energy, the little things in your day suddenly become big things because you don't have that emotional energy to deal with it. I, I think uh, that I think that explains that explains like uh, Stamets's reluctance earlier to like give up his his one thing that he has that's so important. You know, that's kind of like a, a theme that maybe could have been developed more. But I like that Saru's like, look. Uh, quite frankly, like we need an alternative to you in case you're incapacitated again. And he takes it so personally. And even here, it's an extension of that same thing where he's like, without me, we wouldn't be where, you know, we wouldn't be so close to earth and everything else. And it's like, I like that because you're right. When you have nothing else, when you've gone so far away from your home and you have all this underlying stress, you kind of hold on to those little things. Those things become really huge. And I like that. It's also questioning his integrity. He spent years trying to build a, a an electronic or optronic or duotronic, I suppose it would be, duotronic way of doing the spore jumps, and he failed. And Saru basically comes up and said, well, you weren't really trying. Can we actually <laughs> do it once more with a little effort? Uh, and I can, with some personality like Stamets, I can totally see if you're stressed out about life in general, that's a snapping point yeah. there. That, that's, he, what the hell? But he comes around, he comes around, he he tells Tilly and yeah. Saru, he's like, yeah, like, let's pursue this. Let's let's put our brains together, see if we can make this dark matter thing work. And yeah. uh, Detmer, I guess, I guess she has guilt from her from her awkward Thanksgiving dinner. She goes, she goes to Doctor Colbert. She's like, yeah, I'm not okay. Uh, I I need to talk to you. And Colbert, do you think and- we're gonna get more with Detmer, or is that the end of Detmer's <sighs> looking acting weird story? I hope it's the end of it, unless they make it more interesting. Because like yeah. right now, like I'm fine, like being like, okay, yeah. she went and got help. The end. I wouldn't if this is drawn out. I'd like it to be like a little bit more uh, interesting in its uh, presentation. Yeah, I. I- I guess for me, it feels like it's weird enough that it has to be a little bit more than just I'm stressed out that I'm in the future. Uh, That there has to be something, you know, some sci-fi thing going on that we haven't quite clocked onto. What I'd love to see is uh, what Culber was talking. I'd never heard of this uh, theory or concept before the post-traumatic growth. And I think that's so, I'm like, where was that in my life? Because, you know, when you're dealing with PTSD, it is kind of, you do, you do have this post-traumatic growth. Is that a real thing? I I didn't have time to look it up. is it something the script writers made I don't know. I didn't have time to to look it up. Yeah. I didn't have time to look it up, but I was curious about it too, but it just makes sense anyways, because what he says about it um, earlier is that like, those kinds of uh, traumatic situations force you to grow in a sense because they force you to like do well, something I mean, different. You know, whatever does not kill you makes you stronger. stronger but right. Also, whatever yeah. does not kill you leaves you with a lot of unhealthy coping mechanisms. <laughs> it's true. It's true. So, I, I I guess I'm very curious to know if that terminology. I, actually I like the is notion. I, I like the notion of if if you of. It is possible to conquer those things. Yes. Yeah. It is very Star Trek that yes, you can you can yeah. you can come out of these tragedies better than you were before. That is certainly a very Star Trek idea. Whether it's supported by the American Psychological Association, <laughs> I don't know, but it is actually it is very you're right, it's very, very Trek. I also think 
they're going to figure out this dark matter and that's going to become the new warp drive to help put the Federation back together again. I'm 100%. pretty sure that's where we're going with this. It, it seems like this season is um, essentially a, a quest format, the quest to find Starfleet. And, obvi- you know, obviously there's both a literal finding of it and then there's going to be a more spiritual way to like find it and, you know, find a way to embody its ideals. But uh, but I do think that's going to be, yeah, like a kind of key thing, I'm sure. Let's talk about the, the ending of the episode. Uh, Saru surprises everyone with uh, a movie in the shuttle bay. Just kind of, this <laughs> kind of made me feel how, like, drive-in movies have kind of... Like, I, I've, I've gone to see a couple of drive-in movies recently. Um, Since the pandemic. Was, yeah, so it's kind of like mm-hmm. an old... Um, like, like, this old movie art form being used to, like, cope with the... Uh, current uh circumstances it was this actually like when i watched it the first time i started like laughing out loud when i saw like all these characters like having fun in the yeah. shuttle bay and like i started i started crying a little bit like i was like i was surprised when there's like a tear on my cheek i was like oh my god i'm just like so happy to see these people so happy and uh linus uh, bringing popcorn to his date <laughs> Giorgio. she's she's like they're always hanging out like there's there's no yeah, way that's a good point she definitely has yeah. I assume she uh, has some evil scheme, but you know she may just be. You don't know how well hung Sarians are. Yeah, she likes that Sarian D. <laughs> <laughs> this is another uh, another trope from my games is bringing twentieth and twenty first century pop culture and dropping it in wherever I can think I can wedge it into the story with a reasonable excuse as to why they're watching an old movie, listening to an old song. Uh, and, and rather than doing all the great classics, like Star Trek usually does, I'm, I'm usually more for much more for cheesy pop stuff that I, that, 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 that is like, really, that's still a thing in the 24th century. I, I just get an, an enormous enjoyment out of that. And I love the idea that they pick some sort of uh, physical comedy thing that will appeal to all cultures because they they because you know and, and and get by the language barrier and the culture of barrier with this kind of more physical comedy yeah. i thought that was was really clever um and well thought out uh you know they could have been watching casablanca but let's face it 80 percent of them wouldn't have known what the hell was going on with casablanca i think if you showed that to like a modern audience now like a lot of uh young people would have no idea what was going yeah on i didn't movie. get it the first time i watched Father, it I, um, it took me you, a while you pull up uh stress-free k's comment about linus there uh, at the very end i think sure. uh, i think uh, that's stress, a good uh, stress-free assessment. k in the chat says linus is reptilian the closest cold-bloodedness we'll ever find. Yeah, so I guess yeah that's a fit for Giorgio. That's a fit for Giorgio. Uh, okay, next with them. Uh, but we, we, we end with this conversation between Colbert and Saru where Colbert says, like, yeah, we just needed, like, to admit we're not okay. And, yeah. And, and Saru's like, yeah, we're not, are we? And he's like, no, of course not. Like, how could we be? Like, the shit we're going through. And I think this is, like, a message that, like, a lot of, like, COVID-19 uh 2020 uh audience will i think i think it will resonate with many people it's it's both that's kind of the the whole theme of this episode it's acknowledging it's acknowledging the the trauma of the circumstances but maintains a sense of hopefulness uh which seemed very uh very appropriate 
a very familiar triad is starting to form with yeah. the first officer and the and the medical officer and the <laughs> captain. <laughs> nice. Uh, I had thought. I, yeah, it's an incredibly powerful message, and this is why there's not a big climax, Fathery, because they didn't fix the problem. They just came to the point where they realized I'm not okay. They just acknowledged and, there is a problem. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not okay, and that's okay. That's where they are. There's not a you can't a big climax would have undermined the message. Yeah, no, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and I'm glad that there was uh, that they are continuing to do things that like whether intentional or not. I think it's unintentional. Reflect our sort of COVID anxiety (laughs) without without being too literal about them. There's no space virus or anything like that. Yeah, and the uh, last last scene we get, Adira is like, okay, well, cool. I have the coordinates to federation hq so here you go burnham uh we can go uh visit visit federation hq next week i guess that'll be the the story for the next episode for season three episode five i'm gonna hang out in here and and play the cello are they literally like five minutes away from any given place right now Uh, pretty much yeah that's kind of what they uh they have the coordinates they can go there I mean, unless Stamets is sleeping, and then they, you know, maybe want to think <laughs> about. He gets do we want to wake again. him up? <laughs> uh, but yeah, the uh, the last thing we see before the uh, the end credits is Gray appears, and hey, I Gray Ghost, yeah, <laughs> Gray Ghost, like uh, Batman, Batman the animated series. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I thought this was like a really cool idea of how to continue this romance, and it's kind yeah. of probably in like an unhealthy way to have like your lover like like in your mind but it made me think of you know uh dave likes to bring up x-men a lot on on text trek so it reminded me of like the old uh scott summers gene gray oh another gray character uh like like their romance and like the the chris claremont day is how they had like this telepathic bond which again you know is like unhealthy but i don't know there's something there's something kind of romantic about it i think that they didn't make out that they were invasive with it yeah I mean, we we say, oh, look, this is unhealthy, but I mean, infinite diversity, infinite combinations, man. If it yeah. works for oh. them, it works. No, that's no, that's yeah, the question. For sure. Uh, for sure. So, and, um, I, I, I think it like I would like if I had lost someone, if I had someone who died, um, like I, I, I would I would long for this. I would want I would want to have like the option of like them to like yeah. Yeah, I want them to like exist in my mind and I have all their memories and they have all my mem- memories, but we can still spend time together. And it can only yeah. just be me and them when we're together. But yeah, like no, I think that's a, I think that's a really um, yeah. unique idea. So I, I'm looking forward to seeing this play out. I this might be like a slight spoiler for things in the rest of the season, but just I, I think it kind of needs to be addressed just because people are concerned about the bury the gay trope. But they've already confirmed that both these actors are returning for season four. They're both in Toronto right now. You know, this week production started on season four. I, 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 well, it's late in the evening, so I'm sure they wrapped for the day today. But a, a few hours ago, cameras were rolling, actors were acting, directors were directing, and, and these two actors are part of the season. So, so four, they're not so. going to kill Gray again. <laughs> yeah, so this is this is an ongoing yeah. thing that we're gonna we're gonna continue to have. And the, I love the this ship, shot. I guess yeah, the, the final shot of the ship setting course for Federation HQ that we'll find out about next week. I have I have some concerns about Gray and Adira, uh, and I hope they handle it in ways that subvert my expectations. But I'm just worried about like the idea of like what if 
if Adira meets someone who is a romantic interest, then then does the gray host memory become possessive and and jealous? You know, there's like all these things that I'm like kind of like I don't know if I want that. Like it's kind. I you think know, it could we'll, be we'll fun. Let's yeah, do it. it could be. You know, I mean, the, the, yeah, you know, that's I, good I, drama. I, uh, yeah. No, like, I want to see that stuff. That's a happy couple is a dull couple, isn't it? The same, like, like, no, I, I think I think they could just like keep the two of them like happy with like this romance, but like, it's also like you mentioned, like there's dramatic possibilities. So let's yeah. see that play out. I, I don't want to. They shouldn't be miserable all the time, but there should definitely be challenges that they have yeah. to come up with solutions to. Yeah, I, I assume it will be a, little, a way that a that Gray uh, Gray um, that Adira interrogates her herself about. Her, her feelings on something is we will get this sounding board. So that's, that'll serve a neat dramatic purpose. And then also, you know, uh, Trill are, are always able to kind of call upon past memories. And here it's going to just maybe take a bit more of the form of a, of a conversation rather than a, Oh, I remember such and such a time. Um, yes. And I think that that might be an interesting way to do it. Uh, I, I wonder if they'll, you know, how much they'll get into the nuts and bolts of it. Like, Oh, can a deer, if she wants turn it off, you know, can I would kind of hope so but I don't know. I don't think so. I think it's like on all the time. <laughs> I need my privacy. Well, the, there's, the thing, the thing is like when you, when you pass on the symbiont, the new host has all the memories of the previous host. So everything that person knew, everything that gray knew his entire life, Adira now knows all that stuff. Right. So I, I hope Riker changed his password after that <laughs> uh, next generation episode. Another weird thing I noticed is like how May wanted uh wanted to keep it from uh Burnham that t- like was trying to t- uh, prevent Tilly from revealing that Tilly was seeing May. Uh in this case Gray's like why didn't you tell her you see me, which was interesting. I thought that was cool. Yeah. yeah, and I think they're eventually going to like, who are you talking to? Like, that's going to happen <laughs> eventually. But let me uh, let me knock out these Gorn eggs real fast. Uh, uh, these are all of the Easter eggs, in-jokes, and continuity connections that I found in the episode. If I miss any, uh, be sure to let me know, but I'm just going to run through these real quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, in sickbay, Adira says, I can speak seven languages and cook a mean Bajoran Hasperet. A Hasperet's a Bajoran food that we see in Deep Space Nine on the next generation. It's uh, kind of like a tortilla wrap type thing mm, yeah on the uh the trill home world uh we we get to uh, pay a visit to it again we first saw it in the deep space nine episode equilibrium the character voss is referred to as a commissioner uh so i think we can as- assume he's commissioner of the symbiosis commission which was established in uh deep space that same deep space nine episode equilibrium uh, the computer coming to life, that was a callback to Zora from Calypso. And uh, I think eventually we'll see this, uh, the ship become self-aware. The caves of Mechala were also visited in Deep Space Nine, uh, Equilibrium. And we see the, uh, symbiotes swimming around with the electrical pulses, uh, similar to how we saw them in that episode. In Saru's, uh, new ready room decor, he has the, uh, red flowers on his, on his conference table, those are the flowers of Kaminar that were first seen in the short trek, uh, The Brightest Star. Uh, when Adira goes into the trill pool, she's given like this white robe, this white gown. Kind of looks like like she's about to get baptized or something <laughs> at, at church. But it's the same thing that Jadzia wore in Equilibrium. Uh, the orb that I mentioned, the uh, Menta orb that Guardian Z used. That was to track the isoprobamine, if I said that right, the isoprobamine levels 
uh, of Adira. That is a trill neurotransmitter that conducts the symbiont and host communication. So, you know, these writers, it's it's hard to believe that they they fucked up with the synthahol thing last week because they do a really good job with all the techno babble stuff and looking up all the relevant stuff. Um, but the, yeah, the isoboramine levels are important because if they drop below 40%, then it could uh, be bad news for the symbiont or the, the host. The people that come in, the other trill that come into the cave... They have like these sticks, these neural stabilizers that Guardian Z asked them like to use, like help uh, the the process what's going on in the pool. A neural stabilizer, uh, or sometimes called a delta wave inducer, was used on Dax when uh, the the simians was kind of being stolen from her in the season two episode Invasive Procedure. One of the previous hosts of the simians was seen wearing a twenty three ninety nine uniform. He's actually a has a captain's rank, a captain's uniform. Uh, that we have seen that uh, variant of Star Trek uniform on uh, Star Trek Picard Season 1. The movie night on the shuttle bay, uh, where they're they're watching Buster Keaton movies. Uh, movie nights were a popular thing on the Enterprise NX-01. And Giorgio eating uh, popcorn with Linus. That is the same popcorn container that we saw uh, Kraft using in Calypso. Oh! <laughs> the uh, far future of popcorn bags nice. looks exactly like modern popcorn bags. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not exactly. It's like this has like a specific design on it. It's a nanotech bag. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And having a uh, previous host appear to a uh, current uh, trill host—that was something that we saw in Deep Space Nine. Also, with the character Duran appeared in Equilibrium to Jabzia, and then he appeared again in Fill the Fire to Ezri. And that was all the Gorneggs. Like I said, if I missed any, be sure to let me know. Well done. Nice. But I think that's going to do it for this week. We will be back uh, next Friday to discuss Season 3, Episode 5, Die Trying. And I guess we'll, we'll see what this future Starfleet is all about. Be sure to comment and let us know how you felt about the episode and uh, join us again next week when we discuss episode five and also meet us back on the starfleet for people watching us live you can come meet us on the starfleet boy channel in about 30 minutes 30 minutes we'll be hanging out on on starfleet boy after dark i think we're gonna be talking about uh, this week's uh episode of mandalorian it's starfleet boy after dark chapter 10 chapter 10 <laughs> okay, so, uh, i'll see you there whoever's gonna be joining us and and uh, until next time, as always, live long and prosper, y'all. Right on. Listen to the Text Trek podcast through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or at text-trek.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash text-trek. And follow Fathery on Twitter at txtrek. Please support us by liking our videos and subscribing to our channel on YouTube. Thank you and take care. <laughs>